Thank you for checking back in with the Records and Riffs podcast. I'm your host, Matt Norlander. If this is your first time listening, well, thank you for stopping by. And there's an entire season waiting for you. Go ahead and look at Records and Riffs in the iTunes store. Give it a subscription. Do give it a rating. Some of you have been so kind to rate the podcast. I really appreciate that. The more ratings, the better, so more people can find it, and I can get better guests and bigger guests and do more episodes coming in 2016. I fully plan on having at least three seasons in 2016 and maybe four seasons, depending on interviews, time, and how all of that lines up. But this is a standalone episode. I'm going to review the music that was over the past 12 months in 2015. I thought it was an interesting year. I thought it was a good year, but not a great year. And I don't think that that's a prevailing opinion among a lot of people that follow music as intensely and certainly more intensely and more devotingly than I do. But overall, it's fun, and I definitely enjoyed it. And there's a whole lot of records that I want to get to. I am going to do this episode solo just to see how it goes. If you think that these episodes are better as a as a one-on-one interview or, or something of a group thing. I can do that as well, but basically this is just going to be what I thought about records, what my favorite ones were, maybe pointing you to a few that you did not get to and you might certainly enjoy, or artists that you've never even heard of. Uh, I know there's going to be a couple in here that I'm really going to encourage that you, uh, that you give them a listen, either the record at hand or something from a previous output uh, from earlier in their career. So... Uh, give it a listen. I'll play some music underneath uh, with some of the bands and records that I'm talking about. Feel free to shoot me any sort of tweets if you'd like, at Matt Norlander on Twitter. Do follow the podcast on Twitter, too, at Records and Riffs. If you could be so kind to click a follow for there, I uh, would really appreciate it. And, and thank you again. Spread the word. And I can't thank you enough for the... Uh, for the for the feedback too, it hasn't all been you know oh great podcast dude. There's been some hey I like this but did you consider about you know doing this or would you do an episode on this and this and this and I've definitely taken note of of all recommendations and suggestions and I really want to thank everyone for uh, for chiming in. So let's get to 2015 because there's a ton to get to. Uh, I try to listen to as much music as possible, but I'll be honest you know there's there's too much so you can never get to everything. And the podcast will kind of give a bonus here because I'm on the accompanying post on my website I'm gonna rank the top 14 because I really feel like after 14 there's something of a line of delineation among my favorites and I do want to emphasize these are my favorites they're not what I would say are the best because taste can be so subjective and these were the 14 records that I thought were um, the ones that I connected with most and the ones that I wanted to go back and listen to most but for the podcast I'm actually gonna do a top 19 because why not but before we get to that, I want to run down some other records, whether there were ones that I wanted to listen to and there were letdowns, ones that were critical darlings that I kind of like, but maybe not enough. So let's do that. One, I'll go in alphabetical order here before I kind of do my countdown uh, in numerical order from 19 all the way down to one. But for the uh, for the ones that didn't make the cut, we'll go straight alphabetical order. First one is Alabama Shakes. Listen, a great, a terrific, terrific band out of Alabama. Came close to making the list. Um, they came out with a record called Sound and Color. I thought it was pretty solid. I, I absolutely love uh, the title track, which starts off the record. I think it's, it's fantastic. Um, but overall, I thought it was a little bit uh, inconsistent. I, I liked their first record more. That's just I don't know, personal opinion. I found that this one was as highly regarded as as the previous output but listen Brittany Howard is an absolute force and there's no denying that they're a band that seems 
to have the goods to, to have staying power. Uh, sound and color is good. There's some highlights on it, but overall wasn't quite uh, wasn't quite good enough to to break my top 20. Beach House, I they put out a record called Depression Cherry. Really highly rated um, by a, by a lot of music review sites, and I just it's just not I don't know I don't I don't get it I, I I get the vibe and some of it's pretty good they actually put out two records this year it was Depression Cherry and then Thank Your Lucky Stars they came out pretty close to each other overall it's a nice sound uh, but the minimalism seems to lack hooks for my tastes I don't know I, I didn't dig it overall but that was one that there was there was so much positive reviews about it that I had to give it a, a good honest listen and two good honest listens but for me Beach House didn't connect with the way it did seemingly with a lot of people Ben Folds uh, Ben Folds 5 would qualify as one of my 10 favorite bands of all time he put out a solo record this year and it was an interesting project because he basically did it with a with you know an, or, an orchestra behind him but it was a small orchestra and the results were mixed in my opinion um the name of the record is so there and the final three songs on it are actually these concertos that he wrote and composed and they they're good but it almost it almost takes away from what he was building up to prior to that and i thought it was okay um i thought it could you know considering what ben folds five did a few years back with the sound of the life of the mind when they got back together after more than a decade away and just kind of blew fans away with what they were capable of doing. And I do have a Ben Folds five episode in season one of the records and Rifts podcast. If you want to check that out, do it up. My man, Chip Patterson and I, we totally geek out on the Folds fandom and uh, we go take a deep dive there and we, we address the sound of the life of the mind. But so there, um, didn't totally buy it. There's a lot of tenor tones uh, in that title track that I thought were really good. Some of the orchestral arrangements seemed to work, but overall, it was not as good as I was hoping Folds would would have it. To be honest, now the next album that I was I wanted to be so much better than to my ears than it was, and that's Blur's The Magic Whip. Again, similar to what Fold said a few years ago, I mean, listen, Blur had not put out a record in 12 years. You had Think Tank in 2003, which is uh, a pretty disposable Blur record from all the ones from 91's Leisure up until that point. But the Magic Whip basically got put together because the band had gotten together for some performances over in Hong Kong. And they decided to lay some tracks down and not necessarily with the intention of putting out an album, but the, but the music was there and they, they all felt a pull to, you know, we might have something here. And there's definitely good stuff on it. Um, I, you know, I'm thankful that they made it and I, it's definitely good enough to, uh, to go back to, but I don't know. It wasn't as fun, I guess, as I thought a Blur album should be, and I think some of that's because, listen, when you don't play together in a band for 12 years and everyone ages, I think that natural pull that brings you together when you're a young, fiery band, and if you listen to early Blur, I mean, fun is one of the dominant adjectives of that band sound, and trust me, they had all sorts of emotions that they tapped into, but overall, it wasn't quite what um, I was expecting, but it was still good, but I just wouldn't say it was anything close to great. I'd give it... uh, I don't know, a B minus or some somewhere along that line. Next record, 
uh, is Built to Spill, which Built to Spill is a, a band that I would highly recommend. They've been around more than two decades. They actually, uh, <laughs> they're the pride of Boise, Idaho. And uh, they put out a, a record called Untethered Moon. It got some love this year. To me, I di it didn't connect whatsoever. I, I do enjoy and I frequent um, my Built to Spill uh, albums that are kind of like the definites, the go-tos, perfect from now on, keep it like a secret. Those are the two from the late 90s that uh, were two of the most highly regarded of their careers. To me, this one was just, eh, it was okay. Um, but I didn't see what the fuss was about when people said it was their best record from the 90s. Just didn't quite connect with me fully. Next one, listen, I'm not going to spend much time on this at all because I'm confounded by what's happened here with, uh, with Coldplay. They, they <laughs> listen. They're gonna play the Super Bowl, and I would assume it's gonna be the greatest hits, and and nothing um, off the new record, A Head Full of Dreams, because I'm sure they've got a sect of their fan base that enjoys that sound. To me, there's nothing there that's enjoyable. I I gave it one listen. I listened to it all the way through, almost out of just devotion as I write uh, in the blog post that will accompany this podcast, almost out of devotion to the Coldplay fan that I used to be, because those early records are undeniably really good, but didn't dig this new album whatsoever. Um, thank God for the streaming services and YouTube and stuff, which is what I do with a lot of these records, just to give them a listen to see if they're worth buying. And, and with Coldplay, the direction they're going, it's you know similar to the Milo Zyloto, Zyloto sound that they, have, uh, that they touched with in 2011. Ghost Stories had a couple of decent tunes, but it, you know you can see the the way they're going. You can only hope that they can just make a strong U-turn and head back something closer to what like Viva La Vida was, which I thought was actually a really nice return off of what X and Y was like a huge misstep in my opinion. But anyway, that's my that's my Coldplay rant. Next record that almost cracked my top 20 was actually this was one that I didn't expect to to listen to, but it got so much positive press that I was like okay because there are certain times where there are albums and I'm not sure why these you know certain albums will get you know such strong pull when the reputation of the artist is, is in one light and then you you know it kind of comes out of nowhere and Carly Rae Jepsen's Emotion was that album and what was crazy was it was a commercial dud after you know this is she had Call Me Maybe a few years back just you know the song of the summer an absolutely massive hit she becomes a worldwide star and then she goes to make this follow-up record and it's critically beloved but I don't think it did well in sales I will say it's it's nice I mean there are a couple really good hooks in there uh, the bass work on the album is fantastic to me I listened to it um, it came out and it came out a while back I think in June or July I don't remember the date but it it's definitely is a late night summer driving album which is similar to another album that's actually in my top 10 that I'll get to uh, but the point is if you don't think you're a Carly Rae Jepsen fan but kind of dig 80s inspired like sophisticated pop stuff it's worth a listen you might be surprised by how well I mean, the production on the record is undeniably really really strong so that was one of the more surprising records from this year uh, just in terms of what was on it and and how good it sounded it's it's one that's worth going back to and was rightfully on you know a lot of top 20 lists now the next record 
I like the band. I I didn't get I, you know their 2010 output I thought was so strong, um, but with this record, I don't know. It was okay, but I did not I did not understand all the praise being tossed Deer Hunter's way for Fading Frontier. Um, I like a lot of what Deer Hunter does. Uh, I think the band itself has a pretty deep and strong discography. But, I mean, this record was cracking top 15 lists on a few sites. And, I mean, NME had it at 14. The Guardian had it at 12. Pitchfork put it at 30 uh, on its year-end list. And it was good. Uh, give it a B-, minus, I guess. But I'm, I, it didn't click for me. Sometimes when I listen to these records, I always try and listen to a record at least twice, even if I don't like it whatsoever, because frame of mind, location where you are... Um, sometimes you're just, you know, you're not going to be in the mood to listen to a record no matter how hard you try or think you might. So with, with Deer Hunter, I listened to it three times, you know, in October when it was released and then in November and then again shortly before Christmas and it just didn't seem to do it for me. It was okay, but to me it was largely forgettable. So I was a little vexed by how highly it was regarded. And similarly to the Grimes record, this was one... Interesting stuff. Art Angels is is the title, um, and I, I can't deny that it's it's definitely a daring pop record and, and definitely neo pop. It was a record that was super highly regarded. Uh, one of those that I wouldn't have listened to if it wasn't so high up on on many year end lists. But it's just not for me. Um, I can see what what she's trying to do with it and it's it's pretty interesting but overall you know art angels just wasn't uh wasn't i know that there are certain bands like you know you're getting older when there are just certain bands that that are so critically reviewed in such a high realm and and you'll eat people whose opinion that you really respect really like a record and if it doesn't it doesn't uh click for you you just know you know what my time has passed i don't know if i'll ever get into something like this grimes is is one of those um, records for me. And similarly, um, Joanna Newsom, who is actually the wife of Andy Samberg, yes, of SNL fame, uh, she put out a record called Divers. And Newsom is, she plays the harp. She's got a weird vocal. That's the other thing. Like, with Newsom's vocal delivery and her style, it's just not going to do it for me. Like, you'll listen to it, and within a second, you're going to be like, ah, okay. There are some artists, and you no doubt have people that you listen to, and you just know when you listen, ah, just, I can't get past the voice. And with Newsom, it was very much that, because um, she's got like a, a Lily Allen, Regina Spector kind of vibe, which is cool. And the, and the avant-garde pop sound is is pretty interesting, Uh but I don't know. It was just over elaborate production. Divers got a lot of love, um, but to me, I just it, it it didn't do it for me whatsoever. Now the other one that isn't on my top 20, and this was the record that is is the year end number one. It's the one that was on the top of so many lists, and people loved it, and I enjoyed it. But Kendrick Lamar's "To Pimp a Butterfly." I dug some of what was going on there. It, listen, it's it's certainly a statement record, um, and there are a few and like Kendrick Lamar's appearance on you should YouTube it uh, or the Late Show with Stephen Colbert from a month or two back from when this podcast was recorded. 
it definitely, I watched that and I, it reinforced uh, my respect for Lamar as a performer and as a rapper, as an artist, as a lyricist. The lyrics on the record are fantastic. Uh, but overall, I think it's just a little too bloated. Like, for example, I love like um, the song "I," which is near the end of the record. To me, it's got it's got this popping groove that I love, and I've listened to the song a dozen times without a doubt, and it's fantastic. But uh, but with stuff like that and "Mortal Man," which closes the album, there's there's just a lot of spoken word, which adds to the elements of what Lamar was trying to do with the record. And I don't, you know, it's it's fine, but it, to me, it didn't have the hooks. And with a lot of hip hop. I'm at a fault because I, I'm definitely a guy who, when he listens to hip-hop, I, I need certain rhythms or certain hooks, and um, Lamar's just seemed to lack in that regard. Really strong record, just wouldn't crack my personal top 20. I totally get what he was going with it. And it was, honestly, it was engaging to listen to. Like, it made me stop, pay attention, and listen, and I liked it a lot, which I couldn't say, for example, there's another one that I listened to because it was uh, so well-reviewed and highly regarded, and that was... Um, Summertime 06 by Vince Staples didn't even come close to hitting with me. I, you know, just can't explain it sometimes. Like, for example, um, I love Run the Jewels. I love the way Killer Mike and LP deliver. I love the beats they choose. I, I love their flow. I'm not huge into hip-hop, but the stuff that I like, I really, really, really like. And so with Staples, a talented kid, you kind of feel like he might end up being... Um, a legitimate star in the hip-hop business because he's only 22 I think and to put out a record like Summertime 06 it's his first one you kind of get the, the sense that he's gonna have some big and bright days ahead of him um, so good on him but the record over so overall didn't do it for me uh, moving on just a few more here to touch on before I get to my my personal uh, top 19 so to speak uh, bands that I like whose records didn't do it for me Muse Muse is almost similar to Radiohead in that, like, they're going toward a sound that I just, I, I can't embrace. Uh, the record is Drones by Muse, and, you know, it, it was okay, but it was, I don't know. Overall, it doesn't come close to the best of their best. Um, Gary Clark Jr., love his guitar playing, and some of his early output was really strong. Uh, but personally, I felt that... Um, his his record that came out uh, back in September was called The Story of Sonny Boy Slim. It's okay, but just to me, a, a little forgettable. Uh, good playing on it, but just, you know, it doesn't stack up to Black and Blue and some of his EPs and some of his early stuff. Elsewhere, um, The Dead Weather, big Jack White fan. To me, that was just a record that didn't click whatsoever. Ryan Adams with 1989, his cover. To me, I felt it, what's actually been interesting is... It felt like there was a big overreaction to when he released it, and there was everyone was writing about it, everyone was talking about it. it became a big thing, and great on him, and you know him and Taylor Swift's career. Uh, not that Taylor Swift needs the bump, but it definitely dominated the music conversation for a good week or so, if not longer. And yet, since then, haven't really heard or seen much. Didn't seem like it ended up on a lot of uh, best of lists and top 20s, top 30s, top 50s. It's it's fine. I, I enjoyed it. I don't really have a huge desire to go back to it. Um, like, for example, like his cover Wildest Dreams was interesting. It was almost like Ryan Adams posing as Fleetwood Mac while covering Taylor Swift. Um, his Shake It Off cover, you know, it was fine. Didn't really do it. Uh, the song Style, that was the one that I thought he really covered extremely 
extremely well. Uh, that and I Know Places, which I thought was pretty well layered. And I love that plate reverb sound. So, uh, you know, I get what Adams was doing with it. Um, but overall, if you lined up his whole, you know, deep, deep, deep discography and everything he's done, 1989 just wouldn't even come close to cracking a, a top five or six of what of what he's put out. A um, couple more uh, pretty highly regarded records, critically. Kamasi Washington put out a jazz album called The Epic, which, and I'm kind of write more on this on my uh, on my website in the accompanying posts to the podcast, but I'm all down for jazz getting more recognition. Uh, but Kamasi Washington also performed on uh, To Pimp a Butterfly with Kendrick Lamar, and so I almost feel like by association, um, he his reputation was elevated that much higher, which is fine. But overall, I mean, the album is it's almost three hours long. It is an epic, and there's some really cool stuff on it. But I just found it weird that it wound up uh, so highly regarded, just because you almost never see stuff like that. It's just so out of genre for year-end lists that I was surprised by its inclusion. And there's there's good stuff, but it it it's just you gotta set aside the time. And and to me, when you're listening to an album, whether it's a single album or a double album, or in this case an actual triple album uh you don't want it to feel like a massive project or homework and sometimes i got that feeling when i was listening to the epic another highly regarded record was courtney barnett's sometimes i sit and think and sometimes i just sit and cool vibes dug what she's doing she's from australia talented young songwriter and i'm eager to see what she does next and what her next record will be but it didn't uh, it didn't have the, the, the total pull for me. Enjoyed it. Didn't have a huge desire to go back and listen a fourth, a fifth, a sixth time. But overall, I did think it was uh, pretty solid. Uh, Titus Andronicus put out a record. This I just can't. They're one of the bands like I keep trying, and they're and they've got a very devoted fan base. A lot of people I know really like them. Uh, they just don't click for me, and I don't think that they ever will. Jamie XX put out an album that it's got some cool sounds to it, um, and I I, I kind of thought it was orally pleasing enough, uh, but a little bit overrated. To me, I, I actually liked it when I, I listened to it maybe two or three times, and I listened when I was actually writing. I thought it was a good album to write to, um, but I'm not sure how to define. It's like light electronic dance music. I thought it was good enough, uh, but overall just you know, just okay. And the same thing I could, I could say for, uh, Miguel's Wildheart album. I, I, I did not know what to expect. I mean, I guess I thought I knew what to expect with Miguel. And then I put on, um, Beautiful Exit, which is what I believe opens the record. And it was a cool sound. Some of what he does there, I think is pretty good. Um, I think the standouts like Beautiful Exit, Waves was my favorite song on the record and Going to Hell which is a, like a, a nice chugging song. I thought those were really strong, but overall I thought there were a lot of duds and just didn't quite do it for me. And then uh, lastly of the albums that didn't make my list uh, for my top 19, the Fratellis, just because, listen, I I got into Costello music uh, way back when, and to me that's, you know, really one of the better uh, debut albums from a band from across the pond in the past 15 years because you listen to it and it's got you know one hit after another after another um really strong but i, I don't know if they're ever going to come close to approaching what that was their um the record from this year was called eyes wide 
tongue-tied and it's okay you know me and the devil is a song that opens the the album and um, you can tell that the fratellis had their we're gonna do our arctic monkeys am kind of deal here um and there's also like i get like gaslight anthem vibes off the album as well so decent but not not too too strong i guess i give it something like a, a c plus so those are the records that didn't crack the list uh but now let's uh Let's run down the top 19 or so. And why 19? Because why not, I guess. Um, I There are definitely some surprises in here. Um, I had mentioned Deer Hunter before. And actually, number 19 is, is a band called The Deer Hunter, which I, I'm guessing a lot of people listening haven't heard the band. Um, I would qualify them as a progressive rock band. Um, listening to their stuff, it's a full-on adventure experience really uh fantastic songwriting and arrangements they bring in orchestral elements and blend them well with hard rock and they make it work the sound and style isn't for everyone uh what you're hearing right now is kind of one of their simpler songs it's called the line to me it's a standout on the album but when you like for example they've got an ability to to drop a minor chord and then a diminished chord like what happens in a song called is anybody here and it's at the spiritual center i guess of what this group's strengths are um definitely check out the deer hunter they've got uh, there's a lot to get to there but the color spectrum came out a few years ago and um their album from this year uh, rebirth and reprise is it's part of a of a greater <laughs> of a greater uh story there's definitely a um, kind of a hold steady thing going on where they've got this multi-album epic thing that the story that they're telling and so we're in the middle of it but in terms of the songs themselves really really good really solid and um, would highly highly recommend it number 18 on the list i'm going to go with galactic which is a terrific funk band out of new orleans who's put out some great stuff over the years uh, the record from this year was called Into the Deep. It's not as good. Like, if you really want to get good Galactic, go early. Cooling Off, Crazy Horse Mongoose, Late for the Future, all terrific records. Um, but Into the Deep, which came out this year, was my favorite record since basically, I, I really think since Late to the Future. Um, what you're hearing underneath right now is uh, Does It Really Make a Difference, which isn't... It, the, the, the album has really good... Uh, funk, hip-hop, modern jazz elements to it. I think it's just a really, really solid, fantastic record. And, you know, bands like Galactic, they're still putting out good music, but they never get represented on these year-end lists. And I don't know why that happens. I feel like there are a couple bands here that I'm still going to mention that that similarly fall under that. um, Because it becomes, I don't know, group thinking uncool. (laughs) I can't explain it, but... When you look at the music and the songwriting Galactic put out, to me, you know, it was it was daring and fun and, and different and yet had some mainstream elements to it and some some elements to it that would, you know, endear them to, to critical writing and, and critical thinking and reviews. So to me, clearly um, one of the 20 best records from, from the year. Now the next one, this was a band that got... All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I just I heard the name and I had no idea what the, who the band was and what they were. Uh, but it's your younger brother's Japan Droids, and they're called Beach Slang, and they are very fun. I actually think they're better than Japan Droids. Um, the song you're hearing right now is called "I Break Guitars." 
the album that they put out is their first full proper LP. It's called The Things We Do to People Who Feel Like Us. And it's fun. I mean, the whole record is under 30 minutes. Every song is practically two minutes long, or two and a half and change or whatever, and uh, you'll just blaze through it. It's fun. It's it. I would describe it as West Coast um, punk meets east coast aggressive ethos i guess i don't know it's all i know is it's really good really enjoyable um and it's angsty without having too much punk angst to it if that makes any sort of sense it was one that totally grew on me i i when i first listened to us like okay and then i wanted to go back to it and then back to it again and then back to it again so something of a surprise record there was really excited by what uh, what came from that next record also one that I didn't expect to like as much as I did, and I only got into the guy because of a television performance, and that's Chris Stapleton, who put out his debut record, Traveler. And Stapleton's story is kind of well-known at this point, if you've sort of even moderately followed him or even know who he is. He has been a songwriter for a long time in the Nashville area, and now it's finally breaking out on his own. And he's got the look, the play, the sound, the voice, absolutely just a terrific you got uh, the song playing right now is called might as well get stoned the album itself i i'm not i'm not a country guy um but he's got a good mix of hard folk true blues some good memphis sound and the voice is just crazy i mean he is it's without a doubt the reason that i was brought so heavily into the album and liked it more than I thought I would. Not every song hit it for me, but there's just Tennessee Whiskey, which was the one that he performed with Justin Timberlake at the um, Country Music Awards, and it went viral, rightfully so, because it was it's a crazy good performance. I link it in my podcast post on the site, so give that a check if you haven't. Um, but overall, check it out. What's it 26? Sometimes I Cry is the album. What's 26 is a good one, and then Sometimes I Cry closes out the album. It's one of the best vocal performances off any record in 2015. Um, just really, really strong. So Stapleton comes in as something of a surprise entry, just like Beach Lang. And then the last one that I'll rank for the podcast that I won't necessarily on, on my uh, word entry is Kurt Vile. believe I'm going down. Kurt Vile is a really talented songwriter and definitely something of a... I don't feel even like this is the right way of qualifying it, but definitely something of like a of a hipster, quiet Neil Young type, but really strong record. Um, you're hearing Lost My Head Down There, and to me, Vile keeps getting better, to be honest. Um, he got a lot of good pub for Walking on a Pretty Days, which came out in 2013, and uh, Smokering for My Halo came out in 2011. Those three... Uh, including this one, believe I'm going down, have gotten some pretty good reviews, and so he seems to be very much one of the better uh, current young songwriters out there. I mean, he's only, what, 34 at this point? Maybe 35? Um, so, really, really talented guy, and definitely worth worth checking out if you like, you know, just pure songwriting, a guy on his guitar, acoustic or electric, Kurt File, check it out. Now, the next 14 are the ones that I genuinely still am I'm eager to listen to right now, listen to a lot, and would highly recommend. Coming in at 14, you are hearing The Best Room, and this is Modest Mouse. 
And Modest Mouse took a long hiatus. And they had not put out a full-on LP since 2007. And I'm surprised by how overlooked this album was. I, I thought it was a pretty, a pretty nice effort overall. Um, it's not as good as, as their best stuff. There's no denying that. And that's just typical of most bands, okay? When you listen to this, you're not going to suddenly think you're listening to the Lonesome Crowded West or the Moon in Antarctica or commercially, I guess their biggest hit was um, 04's Good News for People Who Love Bad News. But Strangers to Ourselves is the 2015 record and I thought they did a good job. Now, apparently they wrote enough material for two albums and you can kind of get that. There is some filler here, but I think the highs are high enough um, that Modest Mouse fans are pretty solid with it um i just i think that they you know think that they had an improvement off of 2007's album which was we were dead before the ship even sank to me that's their worst record this was a nice comeback coyotes is another good one on the album and lampshades on fire uh is a pretty strong record overall as well so big marks to modest mouse next a band that actually came into the news uh, in November, um, unfortunately, is Eagles of Death Metal. They were, of course, playing in Paris, and it was their gig uh, that was the site of uh, just terrifying and horrifying terroristic act. Um, they put out a record earlier this year prior to that, and so they were touring and promotion of it. And, and so now Eagles of Death Metal, which is really, honestly, it's probably one of the, uh, you know, 15 or 20 best band names out there currently going because it's got this <laughs> you think about okay so is it eagles of death metal or are you like the band the eagles but a death metal version it's not that it's it's just a funny funky little name and uh, they've been around for, since the 90s which is I, I had no idea um and now i'm like i gotta know more because they're actually it's a two-man group and it's uh jesse Hughes and josh hom of um Queens of the Stone Age, uh, Hom plays drums in the band, and it's just, it's a cool sound. I have not gotten to their other records yet. If there are Eagles of Death Metal fans listening, tell me which one I should go to next. I, I might have even gotten to it by the time you listen to this podcast, because I was just totally surprised by what the sound here is on Zipper Down, which is the, uh, which is the, the record that came out this year, and I'm just curious. I mean... Uh, Love You All the Time is really solid. Uh, the Deuce is is terrific. That's what you're hearing right now. Um, I just I like that they've got this fuzzy sound to them that's got some good drive, some good rock, and some self-awareness to it. Overall, big time surprise Eagles of Death Metal, Zipper Down, uh, huge fan. Next record for a completely different sound, Critical Darling. I did enjoy it, but I totally have to be in the mood to listen to it. Sufjan Stevens, Carrie and Lowell, uh, he's a he's a terrific songwriter, and he's actually what's in, what I've always found interesting about Sufjan is his look. Like Google, go ahead if you don't know what he looks like, Google image Sufjan Stevens, okay, and then listen to his music, and, and the guy's like. He looks like a jacked bro, and yet, uh, and he's now 40. Gosh, he's 40 years old, and yet the, he writes some of the most melodic, softest, uh, you know, earnestly emotional music of any mainstream artist over the past decade. Um, Carrie and Lowell was a record that 
got plenty of love, rightfully so, on year-end list. I thought it was pretty solid overall. Um, I don't like it as much as Come On Field of Illinois, but it probably is my second favorite Sufjan Stevens album. Uh, came in third on the AV Club's year-end list, was second in The Guardians, was sixth by Pitchfork. Uh, number one uh, album of the year um, by uh, a music magazine called OOR. So it, it is all, you're hearing a song called Should Have Known Better, and Stevens' stuff is not going to be for everyone, but if you're in touch with your inner self and your and your emotions, you might find a lot of joy with it. Um, now the next guy... To me, he has become the new Springsteen in that writers that I know and follow on Twitter give him as much love and freak out over his songs and his lyrics as much as as those who I know who do the same with with Bruce Springsteen. And that's Jason Isbell, really talented guy. Uh, His basic backstory is that he was in the Drive-By Truckers, you know, terrific southern rock band, and they kick him out, he has substance issues, he gets his life back together, and now he's finding more success and fame as a solo artist than he would have ever even approached uh, with the Truckers. He's actually, to me, he's now outpacing uh, what the Truckers ever did in terms of just widespread acclaim and, and fame. And it's well-earned. Uh, Southeastern was his album from two years ago, and the one that came out this year is something more than free. You're hearing a song titled The Life You Chose, which is really good. The standout al- song on the album is actually Children of Children, which some think is the best song that uh, Isbell's ever written, and he's got some really, really good ones. But listen, he's got his style is Americana with, you know, modern country and, and, and southern rock and, you know, neo folk, I guess, might even be. Uh, a little too progressive a term, but the album is just, he's, he's really good at putting pen to paper, writing a, a nice enough melody, telling a good story, and, and really just bringing you in, and um, I, I'm, I'm down with it every time. He's, he's a really comfortable storyteller. It comes natural to him, and I, I think his delivery is great, and he's, he's an ascending star, and he's now entered into a, a realm where you know, because of his first two records, you know, the next one that comes out and probably the one after that, there'll be a lot of anticipation behind it because he is a really, really, really strong lyricist. Um, next record, I, I really liked, you know, I'd mentioned how To Pimp a Butterfly didn't really do it for me and Summertime 06 didn't really do it for me. And then there was a record from a hip-hop artist that, uh, and he's hip-hop and he's R&B, but the point is, I... I didn't, I, I thought it'd be more uh, highly regarded at the at the end of the year, and it and it wasn't. And it it's the weekend beauty behind the madness. This is a, a terrific record. Uh, I'm, you know, the the singles off it are all fantastic. Often the hills, and then the third one was can't feel my face, which came out in June of 2015, and that's what really kind of just sent him to another level entirely. Uh, but you know, and then I as I was listening. To it, I kind of went and looked and saw what people, you know, it kind of be at the AV Club. Um, NME gave it a 7 out of 10. Pitchfork a 7.2 out of 10, which, you know, these aren't bad. Uh, Rolling Stone, 3.5 stars. But to me, it's it's borderline top 10 record of 2015. Um, really like the, the sounds and the experiments that he has brought to it. Um, it's become underrated, I guess, and maybe that's because Can't Feel My Face is such a huge success, but In the Night 
absolutely stellar, stellar song is what you hear playing underneath uh, my annoying babbling voice right now. But this was among the most, among the biggest surprises of 2015. I, I really liked it, and I, at first I wondered if the album just hit me at the right time, at the right moment. But I went back to it, liked it even more, listened to it a third time, liked it even more than that. The weekend, absolutely. I'm ready for the next one. Just Beauty Behind the Madness. Fantastic record. Highly, highly, uh, highly recommended. Next band. So this one, I, I listened to this group or tried to listen to this group. Easily, I easily tried to listen to this group like 25 separate times from, you know, 2001 through 2010. Never clicked. Then it put out a record a few years back that I was like, okay. I kind of actually dig the sound here, and now this year, um, it's my favorite record from them yet, and that's Wilco. You are hearing the joke explained, and they put out Star Wars. Remember, this album came out in July, and they kind of dropped it out of nowhere for free, uh, and I, I still don't get old Wilco. Like It's one of the things where I hear what people are, are saying, and I can understand where, where the you know, with Jeff Tweedy and, and what he's able to do and and what the band is trying to accomplish. But with some groups, it just doesn't click. But Star Wars, I, I don't know. I, I understand it's not a huge fan favorite. Um, it's not like it's a bad record. And I think I know a few Wilco fans that, that were like, yeah, no, it's good. Um, it wouldn't make my top five Wilco records, but it's good enough. Uh, I just dig the, you know, it's like stoner rock meets Lurie kind of vibe. And if this is direct, the direction they go, I'm absolutely all for it. Uh, to me, it deserves even more love than it's been getting. Then from here on out, I would actually draw another line and say, all right, these were these next eight records were my favorites. I would I would say even more than the previous six I mentioned. Coming in at number eight is Churches. I. I Love this band. Uh, trio from Scotland. Um, Lauren Mayberry has an absolutely terrific voice. This is Clearest Blue that you're listening to. Uh, and it's just a pulsating and beautiful blend of modern pop. With You hear inspiration from the 80s and 90s and a lot of what they do. And then there's this, But there's an undeniably uh, forward-moving sound to this band. They, they really just know how to create some gorgeous color arrangements. And I, I, I think that the... Every Open Eye, which is their second record, which came out uh, earlier this year, I think it's it's even better than what their debut was, which was The Bones of What You Believe, which came out a couple of years ago. This one I liked just a little bit more, and even a little bit better. Um, rightfully uh, put on a lot of year-end lists because it was really good. Next is a personal favorite of mine. It's the band that opens the Records and Riffs podcast. That is Guster. And you are hearing the very solid Do It In It by myself, including the gorgeous pre-chorus on this song. Guster is one of those bands that listen great alternative pop band. He's still pushing boundaries, still testing themselves. The, the album came out in January, so I guess you know it was never going to have a chance to make your end lists. But to me, I love it. Um, there are not many faults with it, and they deserved um, more press and publicity for a, a really solid effort. Guster makes albums um, with, with you know, I don't want to say careful craftsmanship, but they care a lot about the songwriting process and getting it right and, and doing uh, things in ways that will, that will expand their sound, uh, but still stay true to their fan base, and I really appreciate that. 
Next, coming in at number six, I'm forever an Oasis fanboy, and I was actually hesitant to what Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds were going to put out. Didn't quite know what to uh, what to expect from Chasing Yesterday, but you're hearing Riverman, and it's it would make my top five favorite album opening tracks of 2015. When you get down to it, Noel Gallagher is really one of the best mainstream rock songwriters of the past 25 years. You know, the Oasis stuff speaks for itself, and now that he's been on his own for a long time, you can see. And what I liked about the record is it's not just it's not a, it's not a straight rocker. Um, you've got a lot of the bass work on the album is fantastic. You're hearing the Riverman, but uh, the Dying of the Light is another. I think it's a top 20 song he's ever written, um, and I just like the thick, reverby sound on this album. Uh, and listen, Gallagher knows how to how to place a minor chord in just the right spot. And he does it really well here. Um, so high praise. There are, there's a couple filler tracks, but the good stuff is so good that I I couldn't help but elevate it. Number five on the list. I got to give a shout out to my guy Drew Cannon, who works with the Celtics. He tweeted about this album back in May, shortly after it came out, uh, saying that it was like the it's done. This is my favorite record of the year. Nothing's going to come close. And I had listened to this band before and some of their previous albums, and the sound didn't really totally do it for me. But I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. And I love when this happens. I love when my expectations of something are kind of, you know, at knee level, and then I listen to it, and it just blows me away, because it just reminds you of... It's it's so great to be surprised, shocked, and refreshed by music and artists. Kind of what we'll, we'll, like what Wilco did with Star Wars, um, a band, you know, I didn't dig most of their previous stuff, but Best Coast put out an album called California Nights, and it's... Uh, it is just indie, modern indie rock at its best. You're hearing the title track underneath me. Uh, listen, the lyrical content is a, f- a freshman in high school could write most of these lyrics, okay? Uh, but the soul and spirit of the songs are terrific. I, I just, I, I, I can't believe how much I like this record. I, I like it more and more as I listen to it, and that's really a sign of a really good album. I highly recommend it. I was surprised it didn't get more love, and I don't know if that's because the lyrics are so basic uh, or what, but just some fantastic, fantastic... Uh, work there from Best Coast. Surprised and I really dig that record. Number four, I think because they put out the record uh, at the beginning of 2015, everyone forgot about them. This is, in my opinion, a top three album from the group. Maybe top four. Uh, certainly top four. But um, What a Terrible World, What a Beautiful World by the Decemberists. Uh, terrific. I, I don't get why this wasn't more recognized in November and December. Um... I understand that it's not, you know, it's not the Hazards of Love, it's not the Crane Wife, but to me it's on par with The King is Dead, which came out in 2011. Uh, I I think overall uh, it's better than Castaways and Cutouts, pretty close to picaresque. You're hearing a song called Cavalry Captain. Um, To me it's a song that really encapsulates the joy and the overall uh, well-rounded songwriting of what the Decemberists currently are. It's not just all... You know, some people think the Decembers were like sent from 1885 uh, and, and just injected into mo- the modern music world, and they're so out of place. And I get that because there's a certain element to their sound where that is the case. But overall, they've become 
just a, a really good folky modern indie band and to me what a terrible world what a beautiful world is is pretty solid overall top three and i was i was a little i don't know if bummed is the right word but i expected these records to be good and i think my personal attachment at least to two of the bands and my bias is now affecting um my rankings but hey the heart wants what it wants and it's gonna you know these are the ones that i just consider my favorites so number three is the waterfall by my morning jacket and i would not say that the waterfall is better than z i wouldn't say it's better than it still moves i wouldn't say it's better than Securitle. um i would say it's about on par with evil urges you're listening to a song called tropics the point with every mmj record they put out at least one song where i become utterly obsessed with it okay don dante was on that off of z um steam engine uh with it still moves i mean you can go down on the securitals title track was that with this it's it's tropics it's got this pensive zeppelin like steaming quality just really good compound fracture is another really good one uh title track on the song is also very good can't say enough about my morning jacket i'm pot committed it's probably one of my 10 favorite bands of all time at this point and i thought they did pretty well if not their greatest effort uh, a really nice effort number two you are hearing the title track to father john misty's i love you honey bear and father john misty is the stage name for uh, a guy named joshua tillman who was at one point in fleet foxes and opted to leave the band and now he's he's kind of doing what uh what Isbell did with the drive-by truckers, I mean, he took a gamble, uh, left the band, although he, he left on his own accord, uh, by all accounts, whereas Isbell was kicked out of the band. But now he's finding a lot of success, and the whole, you've got to buy into the Father John Misty, uh, I don't even know if facade is the right word, but he's playing a character, and the, the songs, to me the songs are pretty, they're beautiful, they're well-rounded, and so some of the, the the sardonic nature and the sarcasm behind some of that and like the jerk-like quality that he's playing with some of this stuff, it takes a backseat just to the overall fact that I think the songwriting is so strong. Um, I love you, Honey Bear. Uh, I don't think it's got, as I write in the post, I don't think it has one great song, but I think every song is really, really good, so the sum of its parts put it at number two for me. And my number one record, it's got the best track on side one of any record in 2015 that I heard. Uh, but what you are listening to right now is not that song. This is called Cause I'm a Man. And yes, this is Tame Impala. And they put out an album called Currents. I, I say they, but really Tame Impala's got an interesting setup. Because this guy named Kevin Parker basically writes all the music. He writes the music, writes the lyrics, he composes everything, gets in the studio, and then he's got his backing band where they play the stuff live. Um, to me, it's a step up from lonerism. A lot of people don't feel that way. They feel that lonerism, which was uh, very highly acclaimed um, and was the was the more recent record, and is also terrific and was highly rated. It came out in 2012, and it's more of a rocker and a stopper. Currents has more synth sounds but to me it's more introspective lyrically it's better and it took my number one i remember listening to it for the first time and thinking there's no way this won't end up in my top five i was kind of hoping there'd be something that um 
hit my heart just a little bit harder, um, that would have usurped it. But when it gets to the end of it, it's the one that I want to listen to more than any other that came out in 2015. And front to back, uh, a full-on experience. Terrific album to listen to on vinyl. I would say stuff like Lonerism, The Waterfall, Isabel Something More Than Free certainly qualifies for that. Uh, these are great just at Wilco Star Wars they're great vinyl experiences overall you can kind of just sink into that and if you dig that vinyl sound I do have an episode dedicated to um, <laughs> the religion and dedication of, of buying and listening to music on vinyl but that's 2015 overall as I said at the start of the podcast good not great year um, I thought 2014 and 2013 was de- were certainly stronger maybe even 2012 but you, your mileage may vary. And if there are certain albums that I didn't get to on this, I tried to basically touch on every album that I listened to at least twice. There are a couple of exceptions with that, like with um, Built to Spill and Coldplay. But overall, I, I try and give it an honest listen uh, at least twice to, to kind of pass along some opinions on that. But if you listen to stuff that I didn't touch on, one, I want to hear about it. Send me links. I know there are plenty of really good bands out there that don't get a lot of... Um, press and coverage and, and, and it's all you know fan based by word of mouth and and i'm definitely open to trying i mean people sent me links on twitter last year when i posted my top 15 albums and i slowly but surely got to listening to all those and i found a couple of really nice bands that i was unaware of so uh feel free to pass along some of your favorites uh hit me up at matt norlander and and thank you again for listening i know this was a total blab fest but uh, it was it was very cathartic to do it. I enjoyed uh, getting to kind of wrap up the year in music. And if you're not going to listen to music, I appreciate you listening to me talk about it. So season two of the uh, of the Records and Riffs podcast is going to get recorded mostly in January. The goal is to get it posted in full by the end of January, but that's going to be schedule dependent. I do have a new baby boy, and he's terrific, and I'm already, trust me, playing plenty of music for him. But... Uh, But at the very latest, it'll be posted in February, and then once college basketball season ends, I'll get to work on season three and hopefully get that up by uh, late April, early May. But thank you again. Feel free to subscribe and rate in iTunes. And as we go out, this is Lazy Love by Guster from Evermotion, their 2015 record. And again, a top ten record in my eyes and inside my ears. You've been listening to the Records and Nurse podcast. Thank you so much. Talk to you in season two very soon.